All right, I'm going to ask, um, if you can, I know uh, we've been up and down a little bit today, but let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to cut through my, I'm going to cut out my quotes and jokes today uh, for the sake of time. Some of you are, might be happy about that. Some of you might not be, but that's okay. Um, but I'm going to read God's Word to you. Before I read Hebrews 4, 1 to, 4, 1 to 13, I'm going to read uh, Matthew 11 and Isaiah 30, just a verse from each of those. And these are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isaiah 30, 15 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Verse 6, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as the, in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken, about, spoken later about another day. If you have your Bible, underline this verse, verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have offered rest to us in Jesus. I pray that we would take that today and that we would not harden our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of uh, young Jewish believers who were thinking about giving up their faith. They were thinking about going back to Judaism. And uh, the whole theme of Hebrews is Christ is better. Don't give up. Don't shrink back. 
And you would think that if you were going to tell somebody who's thinking about giving up on the Christian faith or losing their faith, that you would say to them, well, just work harder, get more involved, get busy for Jesus. But that's not what the writer says in this passage. In fact, what he says is the irony is this, is that our strength comes not from how hard we work, but how well we learn to rest. Now, we're going to unpack that this morning and, uh, and see what that means. Learning to rest in Jesus supplies the strength to thrive. That's the whole theme of this book, really. It's to follow Jesus' pattern and an unhurried life, to follow his example and to rest in him. And we're going to look at what that says. Many of you are really tired people. We have a culture that chronically overworks. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm, I'm in that culture, and I give in to that. And so I'm with you today. Healthcare professionals have traced this to billions of dollars of medical conditions, heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidental injuries, cirrhosis of the liver. A new study released a few years ago showed that those who work 11-hour days, get this, are more likely to become depressed than those who work 8-hour days. Uh, I think of uh, our, our family here that just dedicated their children. Um, many of us fathers, we're not, we don't mean to be bad fathers because we're not bad people and we care about our children, but often what happens is, is we overwork and we don't have time or energy to devote to our family. So even when we do get home or before they go to bed, you, you know, you, we've used everything up, we've got at work, and all they know of their dad is often a stressed-out zombie-like figure. We gave our best to our jobs. So there are three reasons why we are pressed to work. The first one is, obviously, one is that work is how we provide for ourselves. So we work hard so we can have a lot. You put in extra hours. That's important. Uh, obviously, the Bible says that we should work hard. Um, so I hope none of you interpret what I'm going to be saying today as saying that we shouldn't be working. All right. Um, but a lot of us, we keep working and working, and we often are living beyond our means, and we have to work and work and keep up with that. The second reason we're often overworked is because for most of us, work is our identity. You know, we, the two questions you ask when you meet somebody is, what is your name? And then the second one is, what do you do? And in our culture, and, and uh, Alan Fladling, uh, Fadling talks a lot about this, how a lot of us derive our worth, not, not our, fina our financial worth, but our, our self-esteem, uh, who we are from what we do. Probably the biggest lie that I regularly confront uh, with students on, on is, that, is this idea that you are what people say you are or you are what you do. You're only as good as your last performance. You know? and, and we treat people like that. But the truth is, is that the gospel says that we are valuable because of who we are and because of what Christ has done for us. So we, we determine our worth by our work. Um, uh, you can see this as early as college. Some people going into university feel like they have to declare a major, pre-med, pre-law. That makes them feel important. Um, uh, Wall Street Journal ha uh, recently had an article that said that most of us inflate the number of hours that we, that we work. <laughs> and so it's no longer cool to work 40 hours. You have to say, I work 60, 50, 70 hours. You know? The idea is I'm so important that my job can't just have me for 40 hours. So I, I can do 70 hours, and it's kind of cool. Um, we think that's kind of cool. Um, and then the third reason we sometimes overwork is because we're just trying to please other people. Some of us are type A personalities, so we got to answer that email. we got to get the job done. we got to return the phone call, and we just want people to be happy with us. So this morning, I want to give you what the gospel says to this, and particularly 
what the Bible says about the Sabbath, okay? Uh, according to this chapter in Hebrews 4, the proof that we found the gospel is that our lives are characterized by a kind of profound rest. And when I say that, it's, we're talking about an inner rest. But that inner rest is often achieved and maintained through physical rest. He says in verse 3, For we who have believed have entered that rest. You receive the gospel by believing and trusting. He says on the flip side, an inability to find rest is proof that we haven't experienced the gospel and that we're still under the wrath of God. So two things we want to do real quickly this morning. First of all, I want to explain what this concept of Sabbath is that the Hebrew writer builds off on in this chapter and why it's the source of rest and how it points us to Jesus. And then second, I want to explain to you how you can enter that Sabbath rest. What does that look like, okay? Now, the Sabbath is a command about a specific day of the week, but it also points us to Jesus. The command, though, is important. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, we have life groups and, uh, in, our, in, our, in, our, um, in our church, and I, and I hope you, as the fall starts and begins, and I hope you'll find yourself looking to get involved in life groups. Um, my wife and I are considering and praying about starting a group for married couples, a short six to eight week study on marriage. Um, there's some men's discipleship groups starting. But um, you'll, never hear this in your, you'll never hear this in one of our life groups where somebody says, hey, how you doing spiritually? Well, you know, I just, everything's going pretty well, but I just murdered somebody last week and thinking about murdering somebody else. Uh, uh, yeah, everything's going pretty well with my life, but uh, you know, I, keep, I keep, keep sleeping with my neighbor's wife. <laughs> you'll never hear that. But often you'll hear this. Hey, how you doing? Not oh, fine. No, how you, how you really doing? I'm tired. I'm busy. How you really doing? How much time you got? <laughs> I've been working straight for three weeks, three, four weeks, haven't had a day off. You know, it's funny how we, you know, the, the optional command that we often blow off and don't obey is the Sabbath one, the fourth commandment, okay? Uh, God created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh. So we know that this Sabbath principle, even though of all the Ten Commandments, all the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament, except this one. And so some people say, well, maybe it's optional, but it's not. It's really a way of life because we know that it was created by God for us in the, in the created order. Moses said this in Exodus 20 when he got the law. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And then he gives a reason for it. He says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let me give you four really quick reasons why God gave us this Sabbath. All right, number one, it was to remind them that God was the point. Enjoying his presence is our purpose. We were created for God and everything is to be done for him. And sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and we forget that, don't we? We get so busy raising kids, we get so busy paying the bills, doing stuff. And what God said was one day a week, God commands us to cease from our labor and to think about why we're here in the first place. To enjoy his presence is our purpose. Sabbath is not a rest from our primary pursuits in life. Sabbath is ultimately why we are alive. We weren't created first and foremost for a job. We were created for God. 
when any of us repent, remember that verse said in repentance and rest is your salvation? That's one of the things that changes in your mind. That you say, okay, I'm going to stop performing and trying and straining and do this thing for God and recognize what he has done for me. And, I'm gonna, and it's about enjoying God. Number two, the Sabbath was also reminded, uh, was given to us to remind us that God is the provider. When God commanded them to take one day off, I'm sure there were people who objected. You know, crops have to be harvested daily. Water has to be obtained daily. Times were tight. And in an agrarian culture, uh, one out of seven days, you, you lose a lot, okay? And that's one of the reasons why you and I, sometimes we, we, we work on the Sabbath or we work seven days a week. To cut your productivity by one-seventh was not prudent. But God commanded them to do it because he wanted them to leave space to provide for them. He promised them that if they would work for six days and take off the seventh, he would multiply their effectiveness on the other six days to make up for what they gave up on the seventh. It's kind of like tithing. None of us gets to the end of the month and looks at our, at our account and says, oh, wow, I have 10% left over. What should I do with it? Oh, I'll give it to God. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, no, no, let's do that. And the idea of tithing is to give it first to God. It's, a, it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Every step of obedience that God asks us to take is always a step of faith. And to take off work and say, I am not going to work. I'm trusting God to provide. And that's what God wants. He wants us to know that, we, uh, that he is our provider and that he will provide for us. We can very easily think that we are the ones that bear the responsibility for caring for ourselves alone. And that's naturalism, by the way. That's atheism. There is no God. I'm on my own. Everything's here by chance. I just got to make it up as I go. Or as the guy in uh, the Titanic said, I create my own luck. Remember he said that to Leonardo DiCaprio? I, I create my own luck. He ended up going down. God doesn't want us thinking that. He wants us to be faithful and to use his opportunities, and he wants to be able to bless us. Number uh, three, um, and this is in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second law. It's kind of like the director's cut uh, from the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments was given in the book of Exodus, and then Deuteronomy gives us a second look at the law where he explains things, why the law was given. So if you've never been in the book of Deuteronomy and you don't understand the law, why God gave laws, you know, read the book of Deuteronomy. Whenever I think of Deuteronomy, I think of that Beach Boys song. Deuteronomy, yeah, but that's not anything that you should be singing. Um, But Deuteronomy 5, write this down, Deuteronomy 5.15 gives us another reason for Sabbath. He's the point. It's his purpose that we want to, our purpose is to enjoy his presence. Number two is um, he wants us to be reminded that he's our provider. Number three, Sabbath was to give them perspective on their salvation, Look at what it says. It says, observe, in verse 12, chapter 5, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You shall remember that you were, now this is verse 15. You, on the Sabbath day, you shall remember. Flying here. There is a reason for a phone. I knew that I, I had a reason for my phone up here. Okay. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. First, that God accomplished it all by himself. 
What role did the Israelites have in their deliverance? Did they go cow tipping one night and tip over all the cows? Did they put a bunch of frogs on, on the Pharaoh's porch? Did they turn the Nile into blood? No, it was all God. Did they blow real hard on the Red Sea so that it would go up and they could walk through? It was all God. What role did you and I have in our deliverance from sin? Were we on the cross with Jesus? No. Did we rise again from the dead? No. And so the point here is for us to be reminded. And that's, you know, some of you, Sabbath is a, is a part of church. You go to church. And one of the reasons why we're in church is to be reminded what God has done for us. And that if God could take our greatest need and by himself supply that and fulfill it, won't he do that with our other needs? So remember that he provides, give us perspective on our salvation. And then the last one, uh, and just one more thing on that, you know, it says you were a slave, but now you're a son. You were under the cruel reign of the Pharaoh, but now you're under the tender care of the father. You can trust me to provide for you. The fourth purpose is the rest he talks about here is Jesus, okay? You say, Tony, are we supposed to obey the law? I thought we were not under the law. No, the, in, the, in the book, the writer of the book of Hebrews is always saying this, the law is a shadow to point to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? Yes, we should honor the law and practice the Ten Com- and obey the Ten Commandments, but our, our relationship with God is not fully based on them because Jesus fulfilled that for us. We rest in Jesus. And so that's what his, the, the, the point of the author is here in Hebrews 4. He says there, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God because Jesus is that Sabbath rest. Verses 8, 9, and 10. This, this is emphasized. Now, points to Jesus, provider, perspective on salvation, enjoy his presence. Now what I want to do is really quickly give you four statements about Christ. And I want to give you an acronym this morning, REST, R-E-S-T. That's what you do, not R-E-S-P-E-C-T, but R-E-S-T, okay? And the first one is this, and these are four statements that signify our rest in him. And guys, until you get this, uh, no vacation, no hobby, no time off. Those things just become escapes and distractions. I know some of you, when you think of Sabbath, you think, okay, I'm going to take off from work. I'm going to go and have a vacation. But in our culture, those act like drugs for us. And we, we end up becoming more tired than after the vacation. Or some of you are always more tired on Monday. You're like, man, I need another weekend. And that's because we don't deal with the inner. So when I talk about Christ offering rest, I'm talking about the inner soul. First one is this, Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Jesus accomplished our salvation and sat down. Now, this goes back to verse 13. You remember, you see where it says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes uh, of, of him who must give account. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. Let me ask you a question. What was the first effect of our sin in the Garden of Eden? What happened? We recognized that we were naked. Now, here's a trick question. Were we naked before? Was Adam and Eve naked before they sinned? Yes, they were. So why no shame? Because they were clothed and accepted in the love and forgiveness of God. And when you and I choose to do things on our own and choose to go our own way, that's when we separate ourselves from God. 
And so there's this nakedness that happens, okay? And what happens is, is we're always looking for a covering. And what, what does that mean practically? It means that we're always trying to justify ourselves. We're always looking, and this is our culture today. You're only as good as your looks. You're only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as what other people say about you. We're always looking to justify ourselves and to be something. We feel guilty. We feel unimportant. And the gospel is that Christ has given us the gift of righteousness. So when I say rest in Christ, receive his righteousness. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6? Put on the breastplate of what? Righteousness. Now that's a religious term that a lot of you, you, you immediately tune out as soon as I say that. Okay? You're like, I'm, first of all, I'm not righteous. I don't want to be self-righteous. And so we automatically think, you know, in terms of like judgmentalism. But that's not the indication here, okay? The indication here is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus makes us right with him. He makes us acceptable. He makes us worthy. Christ is our righteousness. You guys remember uh, the movie Rocky? A classic line in there. You know, where Adrian and him are walking around the skating rink, and uh, Adrian's like, why, do you, why are you going to do this, Rocky? Apollo Creed is the world champ. He's going to pulverize you. Why are you doing this? And you remember what Rocky says? Classic line. Because if I could go, if I could just go 15 rounds with the champ, then I know I wouldn't be a bum. <laughs> I wouldn't be a bum. There's this idea that if I could just justify myself, and all of us kind of gravitate that, especially if we love the American dream. Yeah, you can do it. But the problem is, is you have to keep doing it. You have to keep doing it. And for some of you, it's not going 15 rounds with a champ. It might be, if I just get married, if I just get this job, if I just get this grade, for your students, it might be, if I could just get through school, or if I could just get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, then I will be something. That's what our world teaches us. And the gospel says, no, you are all I need for everlasting joy. There is nothing I could do to make God love me anymore and nothing I have done that makes me love God less. In Christ, we are loved and accepted. And you say, well, Tony, then what do I do? Just sit there? No, you work from acceptance, not for acceptance. Do you see the difference? You know, in Ephesians 2, it says we were saved by grace, by faith. Lest it's, not, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. But then when in verse 10 says, it says we were created for God's workmanship, to do good works. We are saved first. Psychologists say that three of our biggest needs are to feel clean, safe, and significant. Clean morally, safe, and significant. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, you were washed, justified, and sanctified when you believed in Christ. Washed, clean, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Okay, I, I'm made right with God. I'm accepted. I'm declared righteous because of what Jesus did. And sanctified means set apart. You're significant. You have a purpose. So Christ is my righteousness. E, Christ is my example. Christ is my example. I don't know about you, but I keep hearing this and it keeps breaking my heart to see people, preachers that I have loved, learned for, learned from, read, listened to, continually fail morally it happens we're all broken 
And we should not put our faith in people. We should put our faith in Christ. He is our example. Even Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ is our example. Next week, we're going to talk about suffering. And 1 Peter 2, he says, I've given you an example for you to suffer. If I suffered, you're going to suffer. I wash feet, you wash feet. Okay? I forgive, you forgive. He's our example, not people. Okay? We just watched The Lord of the Rings, and you know, every time I watch it, I'm like, wow, Frodo really blows it. And I'm always afraid to use this illustration for the person who's never seen it, but he blows it. He doesn't do it at the end. It's really a cosmic thing that actually destroys the ring, you know, but Frodo blows it. Why? Because he gives into the power of sin. You and I are all human. We can't do it. Only Christ can. Christ is our example. Practically, what does this mean? Stop focusing on personalities. Stop focusing on the outward stuff. Focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So he's our righteousness. He's our example. Keep your eyes on him. And he's our security. R-E-S, security. Romans 8.30 is Deuteronomy 5 in the New Testament, okay? Remember I said the purpose of the Sabbath is to get a perspective on salvation What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is saying, you know what? Don't worry, trust God, okay? And I know it's it's easy for me to yell this up here and say this. It's harder for me to live it. It is easier to check a box, like Troy said. You know, thank God that he didn't just stay there and check a box. He fell in love with Jesus and started serving others. But it's easier for us to keep a tab and say, okay, I think my good deeds have outweighed my bad, which isn't really true, but we think we're doing well, than it is to say, no, God wants me to trust him with my time and my money and my family that he will provide. Christ is our security. Let me give you one more passage of scripture, actually two, but Psalm 127, this is classic, okay? Can I tell you one of the reasons why some of us are so stressed? Because we carry the weight of security upon ourselves that God never intended us to carry. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Now check this out. What is the sign in this verse that you know God and are trusting him? Some of you are doing it right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about that kind of sleep. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's sleep. Think about that. And I think Alan Fladling talks about this. A book that really ministered to me on my sabbatical last year was uh, The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. Highly recommend that. If you're enjoying this book, you will also love this book. I highly recommend it. And one of the things he says is that, you know, why did God put sleep in, into our, our system? Was it just to, so that our body could rest and be replenished? Yeah. But also to remind us that we are not God. That who's building the house? Who's watching the city? He is. And either I'm going to trust him or I'm not. We have kids in our youth group who are already dealing with severe insomnia. 
That's a real problem. The anxiety in our culture is so bad. It's taken over. And I, 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 don't, I, I know mental health is very complicated. And I don't want to just throw, up th- throw out things. But I will say this. Since we've taken God out of school and out of culture, there is nothing else to, what else am I to have? What, what security do I have? Does anything really matter? And so, you know, if there is no God, Francis Schaeffer talked about this years ago, the, the, revela- the upper level and the, downer and the lower level. And all of us live on the lower level and we don't have an upper level where God, the, God exists and has revealed himself. Then it's just like, well, whatever, whatever we do. And that's why we've gotten into relativism. Well, if you think it's right, then you do it. And what it's created is a culture in the last 20 years of young people who are just completely anxious about their future. And because at the core, they don't really think there's a God there. Or they can't trust him or they can't see him. And I love this passage because it says, no, it, it's, it's our job to be faithful. It's not our responsibility to guard the city or build the house or even pay the bills. That's God's job. We got to trust him. It's your job to be faithful. And after you've been faithful, you can lie down to sleep and leave it in his hand. I know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with sleep too, when I get, especially when I get stressed. You know, I had a, a friend in, in college, like, that's how he dealt with stress. He could just sleep all the time. I'm like, man, I hate you. <laughs> really? I, mean, I, I cannot sleep. And then when I don't sleep, I get crabby. And then I, you know, I get like, oh, whatever. And, you know, it's, but God designed you so that you needed sleep and Sabbath so you could remind yourself daily and weekly that you're not God. A- again, until you get this principle, vacations won't work for you. E- even when you're on vacation, we worry about what you're not getting done, the money you're not making. You might be unplugging from the activity, but you're not unplugging from the strain. That's why some of us have our phones and it's like an IV in our arm. We're always on it and we're always kind of looking at it and always, you know, it's like constant because we're always checking what we have to do in the next step. Christ is our security. Righteousness, example, security, and the last one is truth. Now, I'm not going to say Christ is my truth. I'm not going to say Christ is our truth because we live in a culture that says, you do you, you do you, whatever your truth is, that's cool, okay? But that's not it. Christ is the truth. And that should give us rest because we live in a world that is lying constantly. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if you caught it, Leanna prayed in her prayer. It was a really good prayer up here because we need to be praying this, uh, specifically in this election season, that what is uncovered, what is covered will be uncovered, that the lies will come out because there's so many lies. You know, it's gotten to the point now where everybody spins everything and it's a narrative and some of you don't even want to watch the news because this portion has this news and this and it's like, you know, the fake news and you don't know what's real, you don't want because everybody's lying and everybody's trying to do their own thing. Well, what should give us rest is that Christ is the truth. I love what uh, Troy quoted earlier. I came into the world to testify to the truth. When he prayed, his last prayer for us was sanctify them in the truth. Are you growing in the truth of God? Some of you are, might be, fan, ah, you know what, this is past my time limit. You know what, this is, you need to get into this. We need to know the truth of God. And Jesus is the truth. He's like a GPS uh, or a compass. When I feel like going that way, the compass tells me which way I need to go. The GPS tells me which way I need to go. He's outside of myself and I can rest in his truth. That's what Sabbath does. What's the practical implications of this? I hope you'll enter into his rest, his righteousness. Allow Christ to be your righteousness. Realize that. That will change your identity. Your security is based on who he is. 
And what it will also lead to is priority. Christ is priority. Um, this past week in our youth group, we sang, oh, we listened to a song by Lauren Daigle, First. And uh, it's a powerful song. She says, before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Before I lift my cares, I will lift my arms. I want to know you. I want to find you. He, she goes, um, you are my treasure and my reward. Let nothing ever come before. You are my treasure and my reward. I seek you first, first. Remember that promise that Jesus was, when he was talking about worry and stress in Matthew 6? He said, don't worry. He said, don't be like the pagans who run after all these things. They're worried about all these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. He says what? Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When we realize that Christ is our rest, he's our righteousness, he's our example, he's our security, he's our truth, we can seek him first. Lecrae says this, and I'll close with this. Love this song. It's applause that dies when the praise is less. If my face is depressed, then then it's because my value and worth is in the volume of the work I produce in the booth. It's a prize and a curse. It's defined by the perks. When the truth is through, man, I won't feel like I, I, like I do, like I don't want to live no more because they don't like me like they did in 04. So I swallow my pride, empowered by God. I'm complete in Him, He's got peace, God's priest I'm in. In his presence, weak is strength. Meet his kin, we his brethren. Read this list, me forgiven. He's dismissed my guilt and my sin, and then I find my worth because I'm Jesus' friend. Identity is found in the God we trust, and any other identity will self-destruct. Identity is found in the God I tr we trust, and any other identity will self-destruct. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as the worship team comes up, Lord, I pray, God, that we would enter into your rest. Make every effort to allow you to be the one that defines us. God, I ask in Jesus' name that we would be a church that's characterized by rest, resting in you. I pray that we would trust you for our righteousness. If there's anybody here today who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, or someone that's watching, God, I pray that they would accept what you have done for them. You have delivered them and provide the deliverance, God. Thank you that you are our example, Lord. I pray that we would keep our eyes on you. Lord, I ask that you would be my security, that I would trust you to provide. And Lord, I ask, God, that we wouldn't recognize you as the truth. We love you. We thank you, God. We praise you. It's in your Son alone. In Christ alone, amen.